might fail to get my mic on, but I've got it on now, so I apologize if you hear that fade in, um, but that's what happens when you're live, I guess. So we do welcome you here. Uh, we're, uh, it's December, and uh, we hope that you've uh, had a good um, Thanksgiving and you're thinking about Christmas. But today we're going to bring a message. It's a message that uh, I, I don't know that it goes with Christmas, but it's an important message that I uh, give from time to time. And you'll figure it out as we go along. Now, have you ever went... Now, I'm going to ask some questions, but these are what are known as rhetorical questions. So don't raise your hand. Don't say, yes, I've done that, because you might embarrass yourself. But have you ever uh, gone into a, sto a store and taken a candy bar without paying for it? So if you had, I don't want you to raise your hand, but there'll be other questions maybe like that. Have you ever snuck into a concert or a movie without paying? And you kind of sneak in there and you're like, well, be taken care of. I mean, really? What's one more? I don't know. I, maybe you're not like me, or maybe you are. Have you ever had the, uh, the occasion where you're on a road trip and you need to stop to use the restroom or something, and you feel guilty going in and using the restroom without buying anything in that store ever at all? Now, sometimes we rationalize, well, I go to that store, I could just go to the other locations. But, but, you know, sometimes people tend to do things and they think, well, somebody else will pay or somebody else will have it, have it covered. And, you know, it, we talk about the word entitled today and people talk about being entitled. But some of the people I think that call, tell other people that they're entitled might be entitled themselves. You know what I mean? They, they just think, well, since I'm... Since I'm, uh, since I'm older now, I've earned a right uh, to uh, just say what I think. And it doesn't matter what, uh, what they think or how it affects them. I mean, I've earned that right. Well, I don't think that's true. Um, I think the Lord would still have us uh, guide us in how we should respond and how we should talk to people. But other people think, well, I, sh I should get some free things. Everybody else gets free things. Why shouldn't I get free things? Today, we're going to look at an interesting scripture, and it talks a little bit about robbery. Now, robbery is in the news a lot lately. you got the smash and grab or the different kinds of laws going on. We're not going to really talk about that kind of robbery per se. We're going to go to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and you're like, Malachi? What, what's a Malachi? Malachi is a prophet in the Old Testament. Malachi is what is known as a minor prophet. Now, a minor prophet, as I've told you before, does not mean that they're not important. It just means that they didn't write as much. Malachi only has four chapters in it. Now, there are some prophets like Isaiah. They they count as a major prophet because they have a lot of writings, but they had some really important things to say. Um, but Malachi is right before the New Testament. Malachi is the very last book in the New Testament. So, excuse me, last book in the Old Testament. 
just before the New Testament. So you should be able to find it. So I'm going to ask you to read, um, turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. And we're just going to look at verses 8 through 10. And we're going to read from the New King James Version as we do. Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Wow. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, if I would say to you, You robbed me. If I say to you, you robbed me, that would mean that I think that you took something from me that was mine. So when God says, you robbed me, it's God saying that you took something from me that was mine. Something that's mine, you've apportioned. What is God saying that you're robbing tithes and offerings? Tithes and offerings. Verse 10 says, to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. This was to support the ministry. This was to support the ministry. Now, some of you might be part of a church or, or come to church with the thought, well, somebody already paid for this movie. Somebody already paid for this concert. So let me back up just a minute and say, this message is for the Christian. This member message is for the uh, regular attenders of the congregation. This is not for the non-Christian. If you're coming to visit a church, I don't expect you, if you're coming to visit our church, to bring an offering so you can get in the door. We don't charge admission. But this is saying that if you are a Christian, if you are a servant of God, that God wants you to be involved in the ministry by giving Him what is already His. Because you say, He says, you have robbed me. What it's saying is, is the tithe is mine. Not mine. God's saying the tithe is mine. The tithe is God's. He's saying you've robbed me. You haven't given me what I need. He wants, it talks about food in the storehouse. At that time the priests were having issues with having sufficient food to do their ministry. Who do you think pays for the heat and the pays for the insurance and pays for the, the building and pays for all those kinds of things and uh, pays to repair the computers or pays for the outreach or pays for the ink on the bulletins or the bulletins. Where does that money come from? It comes from God's people being involved in the ministry. Now, some might look and say, well, this is just 
just so the preacher gets fat and happy and, and uh, wears nice suits or wears this or wears that. And may I say that's not the case. That's not the case. Of course, if you've been out with this church very long, you know that I don't have a salary here. My suit today I wore to my daughter's wedding, but I will tell you that my watch was $14.95, I think, at Walmart. And I have an iPhone 7. So we're not fat, rich, and happy. It's not lining my pockets. It goes into the ministry. It goes into the ministry. But I know as you go to different churches, some people want to find a reason why not to attend the church or why not to give to the church. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about that. If you're not part of that church, you don't have to worry about that. But if you're part of the church, we need to be involved in the ministry. Otherwise, God says you're robbing Him. You're robbing Him. What is a tithe? Well, the meaning of the word tithe is it's a it's the tenth. The tenth. It's ten percent. Ten percent. What's ten percent? It's basically a dollar for every ten dollars. Is what it means. But what are you supposed to tithe on? In Deuteronomy 14.2. In Deuteronomy 14.2. Twenty-two. I apologize. Deuteronomy 14.22 You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Other translations might say the yield, what you get back off the field. But you should tithe the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. It's the increase. You're tithing a tenth of the increase. So if you have a car or something and you bought it for $100 and you sold it for $150, your increase is $50. So what's 10% of $50? It's $5. You're tithing on the increase. They're tithing on your increase. That's what that is. That's what it is. Now, some people will look at this concept and say, well, that's Old Testament. We don't need to tithe or give some other kinds of reasons. Some might even look at it as though it was a tax. But we pay people for services, but God's saying the tithe is mine. And we still don't want to pay it, even though we're a servant of God, even though... The Bible tells us to surrender our all and to give Him our all, but we still get stingy and not even wanting to do the tithes. I'm not even talking about things over and above the tithes, the offerings that God might request us to do, the different outreaches. But in Matthew 3.23, I just want to tell you that there's some scriptural support here. When Jesus talks about the tithe, 
I'm having a horrible time with my references today. It's 23, 23, 23, 23, didn't touch my own writing. And Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite, for you pay tithe, 10%, of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Meaning, yes, you should have. I read someplace on the web. Someone says, yeah, you're supposed to be focused on the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. Jesus says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, the others undone is you still should be paying your tithe. This is the biblical support for the tithe. And we could go on and on, and I think... I think the problem that we might get into is taking opportunity to find excuses for not doing what God has asked us to do. We try to take that opportunity to, do, to not do the things that God has asked us to do. God has asked us to pay tithe. God has told us the 10% is His. And not paying that 10% is robbing God. Is robbing God. And what is it when we pay our tithe? By the way, time is, you don't have an increase on time. Some people will say, well, I'm not going to pay tithe. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to tithe my time instead. Because my time is worth something. I tell you what, I can't pay the electric bill with your time. The church can't pay your electric bill with the time. The church can't uh, pay to fix uh, a broken chair or with your time. Unless you're investing that time so that we can use the commodity of finances. Now, I know some are in the situation, and this gets to be a touchy subject that people don't want to talk about, but since we've taken the time, we'll just lean in a little bit and talk about some things. For some people, I know sometimes people lose their jobs and they can't even make their bills. And then they become part of the needy. And God understands that. But the question becomes is when you go to buy that new car or that new vehicle or that new boat or that new house or that new whatever you're going to do, do you take into account, am I giving God His portion first? Am I budgeting in the 10% for God or is God get the seconds? Does God get your seconds? Well, I went to church today and I put money in the offering. Let's see, what do I got? Um, well, there's 52 cents. There, see? I gave my 52 cents to God. Even though I might have just made an extra $1,000 at work for something, but I'm going to give God the 52 cents because I have plans for the rest. I place God in second in my planning. I place God in second in my look forward. 
It's interesting, we plan for retirement, and people put money back for retirement, or people put money back for Christmas, and then still give God the leftovers. Can I say to you, as a pastor, that as you look at a church, if you look at the percentage of people that are tithing, or the tithing per Per member, if the tithing, it, if if it if it appears, and if the people aren't tithing, you know what I'm trying to say. If the people aren't tithing, it speaks to their spiritual depth. If they're hesitant to give to God what God has requested and what God requires, it speaks to their spiritual maturity. So if I was going to a church and there were 100 members, and this church with 100 members, I find out that the every average offering for this church of 100 members, think about this, 100 members is $1,000 is what the offering is a week. And you're thinking, wow, $1,000 a week for a 100-member church. I'm not saying they have 100 in attendance. They have much more than that in attendance. But it's a 100-member church. And I take that $1,000 and I divide that by 100. That means that each member gave $10. Each member gave $10. You're like, wow, each member gave $10. That's great. So that means that each member made $100 that week. And maybe that's all that they made. And that's fine. But if I look out there and it's full of doctors and engineers and CEOs, I think they made more than $100 that week. Because if I make $10 an hour, if I make minimum wage and I work 40 hours, I'm going to make over $300. So then you're thinking to yourself, I'm looking out as the pastor of the church, if, if my numbers are off, then I'll wonder what's going on. But as I see those numbers improve, just by, it seems like, and I'm not telling you that I go down through and look at each member and see how much they're giving. I'm not telling you that. But you can tell by the big numbers kind of what's going on. But if you see that improve, you see some maturity happening. And when you see that starting to happen, you see some other things starting to happen. Because it seems the money is the thing that we want to hold on to and the thing that we don't want to let go because it causes us to think about what are our hopes and what are our dreams and where do they lie? Where does our priority lie? Where does our first love lie? Where is that? What has that first position? Is that that bigger house that has first position, or is it a relationship with God? Is it what has first position? The easiest way to do it is you tithe, and each week you set it apart, just like if you're doing savings or they tell you for retirement, you just take some out. But if you tithe your 10%, then you'll plan on what's left. Give God the increase. 
and plan out what's left and let God then guide you and guide your life. Now when you tithe, some people want to do their tithe in the manner where they, they might call it tithe. They wait for a special project that they like. Then they put their money behind that and they'll only put their money behind that and they'll only give their money to the church if the church uses it in a certain way. That's not giving your money to God. You've not turned it over to God. You says, all right, God, you, you can have it, but this is how I want you to use it. That's not relinquishing control to God. That's controlling it. Now, if you have lots of money and you say, well, I gave to that fund, and you let everybody know that you gave to that particular fund in that instance, and then you want to make sure, and people appreciate that, and you get your name on a plaque or your name on a building. Well, that's interesting. Because if that was God's money and you're taking the credit for God's money, aren't you robbing God of the glory? And you brought and said, hey, look at me. Look what I have. But 10% of what you have, you've held back from God, you've got robbed God with, from God, and you pulled that money. And then even when you give it to God, you say, well, it's only going to go this way, and if it doesn't go that way, I'm not giving it. I stood across from a man one time, and he basically said, if you do this, you'll never see another dime. Hmm. You bring it in the storehouse, and you trust God, and the people are there. If you don't Trust the church with the money. The churches need to be accountable. The churches need to be good stewards. But you have to be careful. If you can't trust them with the money, then I don't know if you can trust them in their spirituality. If you trust the church to lead you in your spiritual walk, then you're going to have to trust God to lead them in the finances and the good stewardship. But you've got to give it over. If you leave strings attached, are you really giving it to God? Some of you might not have the means and the wherewithal. Maybe you've never done this before. You just start out incrementally. You can start out small. Some of you might have the means and you just need to start doing it. But you have the means and you start out small. Some of you might have had a complete reversal. God understands. I've been in that place. And I said, God, I, I, I was making this much and then my job went away and now I'm making this much and I've got these obligations with these bills just for the basic things. And you're thinking about, I need to go borrow some money for some people so I can stay on with my tithe. And God says, well, you're borrowing from your friends. I'm, I'm one of your friends. It's okay to borrow from me. So I've had to keep track of my back tithe, and I've borrowed some from God. But I acknowledge that it's His, and, it's in, in, you, know, and you keep track of it. And then I trust God with, with how He wants to be paid, or if He wants to be paid, or what we're going to do with it. So if you're in that kind of situation, I want you to realize God is your friend. God's not trying to beat you on the head. 
But if you're doing fine and you're meeting your bills, where is God in your priorities? And where are some of those things that you bought? Did you actually need all those things? And if you're paying your tithe and you got some extra, but what does a church do with the tithe? The tithe pays for what we talk about, but it also pays for outreach, and it pays for ministering to other people and to helping people when they're at issue. And God says, you're robbing him if you're not paying your tithe. So I don't know whether you're paying your tithe or not. For all I know, you're double tithing, meaning you're paying 20%. For all I know is you drop a few bucks in someplace and it's about a half a percent. I don't know if you're robbing God or not, but the message is what the message is. The scripture tells us our direction. And so the question to you, are you robbing God? Are you robbing God? You're supposed to tithe your increase. It's great to give him your time. You're supposed to do that too. But when it says tithe your increase, it's about your finances. So if you heard this message today and God told you to make a change, you need to make a change. And do what God directs you to do. Trust him not only with spirituality, but really trust him with your finances. We didn't go through the different scriptures about it harder for a rich man or any of those scriptures. The challenge is, is we don't want to be lovers of money and not lovers of God. We don't want to put God in second place. We want him to be first place in all, and we want to trust him. Let's be standing together. Father God, we thank you that you have been with us, and we ask the Lord you would take this message that's sometimes difficult to give, and sometimes difficult to receive. Sometimes people think the church is all about the money and we fight against that. But Lord, you know we have bills to pay. And we're not in the business of making money, but we do have to spend some. We pray, Father, that for those that are struggling with trusting you with their finances, that they might look a little bit deeper and saying, are they trusting you with their life? Are they putting you... First place, are you Lord of their life? Because their dreams and things are maybe focused around this money. They have planned for certain things. But we know, Lord, that you've required the 10%. And sometimes you ask us to even give more. But, Lord, it's all yours. We give it to you. We just pray to Lord that you would mature your people. They would walk closer to you. And, Lord, that you would be pleased. We ask that you would take this message. You might stir the right hearts to do the right action. And, Father, be with those that are maybe struggling right now as we go into the holiday season. Lord, they can't even meet their bills, let alone tithe. We pray that you bless them. And that others might be charitable to them. And, Father, we as a church, as we are doing some some things for uh, those in need this year, that you would bless us in those endeavors and that they might uh, feel the love of God as we extend it uh, to them. Bless now these things we pray. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
Amen.